Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Well, if you're new here, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers. I had been suspended for the last month for exceeding the number of cat jokes permitted in this church. I'd do it again, though. Uh, No, I'm really grateful to the elders who give me a month uh, at the end of June and the first two weeks of July every year to study and to refresh, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. They, They take care of us really well, and so I just want to express my gratitude for that. It's good to be home, and as Chip mentioned, this series of the pathway that we begin, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be looking at one of the most famous passages of Scripture to lead us into our thought today. Uh, One of the things that we're doing this pathway series for is because if we're honest with one another, uh, people are living in levels of dissatisfaction in their walk of faith. All of us do. We wish it were more. Sometimes we don't know how to get it to be more. Sometimes we think we want it to be more, but we really don't want to put the effort in. And I was reading an article about the level of dissatisfaction with American Christians. And it wasn't trashing Christians. It was simply saying, this is what happens to folks. They get stuck. Or they feel nothing. Or they tried it and gave it a good effort, but at the end of the day, it never connected. And they walk out going, it must not be for me. Some people question whether God really is available. And if he is available, does he care enough about them? Why doesn't he respond to them? Why is he not moving in them? Why are things not better? I don't know where you are in your walk as a disciple on the pathway of following Jesus. But wherever you're at, I want to talk to you. Whether you're exploring who God is or whether you're growing in your relationship, whether you feel really close to God, or maybe you're that one person who centered themselves on Jesus and it's why they exist. It's what they're here for. We want to talk to you in this series about what the Word of God and what God has made available to us that we might grow as disciples, that we might experience what it means to be close to God, to feel connected. You see, it's our desire here, right out of Ephesians chapter 4, that, that we are called, the church is called, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that those of God's people might be, find their completeness or their maturity in Jesus. And this is what we as a church have set about to do. This is our our focus. We want to do only those things that helps people find their completeness in Christ alone. There's a lot of things we could do, but these are the things we're going to do. And so because of that, I need you to know this. If you want to go deeper in your relationship with God, and I don't believe you'd be here on a Sunday morning if that didn't intrigue you somewhat. Maybe you're here with a friend. This is the first time you've come to a church in a long time and you're not interested in that. It's okay. We're glad you're here. Maybe something this morning will encourage you that this is not a lame effort. This is not a futile life. That there's something to be said and that God might connect with your heart even this morning. But if you want to be complete in Jesus, there's a few things we must know. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to be aware of who he is. You need to listen to his promises. You need to understand what he said he came to do. Because, you know, as we've talked about here, Jesus said, I came and I'll be raised in three days. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, you should not listen to a single word that man says. But if he was, you should listen to everything he says. When we know who Jesus is. And to experience completeness in Jesus, you must believe what he believes. You must trust what he trusted. Now, one of the things that was pointed out a few weeks ago, or I guess probably five or six weeks ago now, when we had our forum on stage, and Michael DeFazio brought up, why should we believe in the scriptures? Because Jesus did. 
Jesus quoted scriptures. He went back to those Old Testament passages and said, this is what God desires. He believed in the power of the scriptures. So we need to know who Jesus is. We need to trust what he trusted. You see, the pathways that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks do not make us holy. They draw us into the Holy One. These are not things we do to make us holy. We do these things because it draws us into the presence of the Holy One, and in that engagement, our lives are changed. Our beliefs are changed. Our appetites are reordered. Our actions become significant. You see, the goal of our life, I'm gonna quote John Mark Comer here, who is translating Dallas Willard. I spent a lot of this summer reading Dallas Willard on purpose. John Mark Comer says, there's three purposes to life, and we grow in them over time. The first is to be with Jesus. One of the first things the disciple we need to learn is how to be with Jesus. Second of all, how to become like Jesus by being with him. Learning to to admire what he does and says and live our lives in such a way. And the third thing is then to live our lives as Jesus. Or as Dallas Willard likes to say, to live our lives as Jesus would live our lives if he were us. It's making a conscious choice to not only live with him, to live like him, And then we live for him. You see, today we're focusing on the fundamentals of what allows us to go deeper with God. And the first we're going to open with this morning is the scriptures or the Bible or God's word. Whatever one you want to title it, it's all the same. And so I'm going to be using God's words a lot this morning. What I mean by that is what is recorded in scripture for us to know. I believe this is fundamentally the most important formative choice you can make is to open your heart, your life, and your eyes to the words of God. But see, Dallas Willard talks about discipleship, and he says this, it's not about trying, it's about training. Because there's not a person in this room who hasn't, I imagine, who hasn't tried to have a Bible study, tried it for two or three days, and said, I'm not trained, I can't. It's not about trying, it's about training. So behind me, back in the shadows, is a guitar. It's an expensive guitar. It's Chip's guitar, which means it's probably two sizes bigger than a normal guitar because he's two sizes bigger than a normal man, right? I have a guitar very similar to his at home. My wife got it for me for Christmas, man, a long, long time ago, right? And she won't even tell me what she paid for it because she's still worried to this day I'll take it back when I find out how expensive it was. Now, I have a guitar just like Chip's. I can't play like Chip, okay? You see, I tried, I picked it up. I couldn't make my left hand do what it was supposed to do without me going do this and then this and then this. And then if I got that figured out, because I could play Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett, which I think God wanted me to. And I mean, I felt a calling. And uh, anyway, I could strum that, but I couldn't strum the right pattern with my right hand and not think about my left hand. And so I thought about my left hand Then I couldn't. Are you with me? I tried. Chip trained. I got calluses on my fingers and they hurt. Chip fought through it, and he's got calluses on his fingers. He can't even, you could stab him in the fingertip. He couldn't feel it. He's played that long. He, he can do, have you noticed, he can sing brilliantly, and he can orchestrate the entire group the entire time. His left hand and right hand are on autopilot. What's the difference? I tried, he trained. I'm going to tell you today, I am not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime, and if you will train your heart for it, God will reward you. Are you with me? This whole series is about the opportunities God's given us to draw close to him. Will we open ourselves to them? It's not about trying, church. It's going to be about training. Okay, 
I want to tell you four things about God's words and why we should care to open ourselves up to them. First is, there is the creative power of his words. There is creative power. God can bring something out of nothing by speaking. And his word is spoken. I'm going to take you through Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at, uh, let me count here quick, seven different passages. Now, I'm going to wear you out. I'm going to ask a whole lot of you today, okay? This is me being sarcastic. Here, Here we go. It's going to appear on the screen. I'm going to read the beginning. And at the end is an emboldened part of the passage. I would love for you if you would read that out loud with me, okay? Let's try this. Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light and? Nice. Verse 6 and 7. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water and? And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bears fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. Do we need a break? We're good? Okay. All right. Three more. We're almost done. And God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And God saw that it was. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. Hmm. Psalm 33 speaks of this. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all his hosts. Verse 9. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The creative power of God's word means this. God does not waste a word foolishly. God has not made a promise he does not intend to keep. God has not named a blessing he does not intend to instill. And God has not mentioned a punishment he will not enact. What do we learn about it? God called this world out of nothing. By his mere spoken word, he brought all things into existence. Are you stuck? Are you frustrated? Have you tried a Bible study before and concluded it's just not for you? Then I ask you to do something. Open the word of God and let it speak. Let it bring something out of nothing. Let it bring light in the darkness. Let it bring life from death. Let it bring freedom from slavery because it still does that, church. The word of God is still freeing people. And I'll show you how in just a few minutes how that happens. But I want to focus on this. Let the words of God bring life where there is no life. The first thing you need to do is is open the word of God and let it speak because when God speaks, things happen. It has nothing to do with your intelligence. It has nothing to do with whether you went to a Bible college and were trained in this. The kind of training I'm talking about is, yes, those things are valuable, but that does not preclude the voice of God from speaking. God's power is not limited by any of us. And when we open ourselves up to it, it works. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 with me on the screen. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus quoted scripture. In fact, what I find fascinating is if you look at the most scrutinized scriptures right now in the Old Testament, 
about what God desires for mankind, and you look at the passages that people are dismissing and saying it's old-fashioned, it's antique, it doesn't work anymore, I want you to notice that the predominantly attacked passages in the Old Testament were the ones Jesus quoted in the New. And the world wants to say he didn't, he didn't speak about any of these current-day topics. He most certainly did by quoting the exact chapters people are throwing out. See, Jesus said, I came to speak life and to bring life. Isaiah 55, verse 10, as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and does not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. I want you to notice this. Isaiah is doing what the psalmist was doing, looking back to Genesis and saying, God has built a system where when he wants something done, it will happen. Verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. God says, I can do what I say I'll do. We need to know what he's saying. We need to know what he's promising. We need to know why he's warning. We need to know why he's encouraging. We need to know why he loves us. And the word of God is the way we find that. It brings creativity in its power in that it brings to existence what did not exist. Don't stay stuck. Pursue the word. Start there. It's the launching of our faith is to know what God is doing. Second thing I'll point out, and these will be briefer as we continue, there's a cleansing power within the words. Not only can God bring something out of nothing and bring life out of death and light out of darkness, but then when that happens in our life and he brings that light to us, it helps us, it heals us, it cleanses us. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus is talking to people like you and me, people that were following him. And he says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a sequential truth in this passage. I'd like to point it out. If we allow the power of Jesus' words to work in us, if we open ourselves up to the words of God and we live within those, we abide with those, we don't just listen. You see, Jesus is calling us to be believers, not agreeers. Agreeers can say that's right and it doesn't change anything. Believers say that is right and they pursue it. You see, following Jesus will require that there's going to be a cleansing work of the word in our lives. And Jesus said, if you abide, you are truly disciples of mine. You're not just agreeers that I'm right. You're actually experiencing it. <clears throat> then he says, and if you've experienced and trusted those words, then you will know their truth and their power. I think this is fascinating. A lot of us will question whether a passage of scripture works. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Bless those who persecute you. And we think, eh, that might work. Well, you want to know if it works? Try it. Jesus intimates here that when we hear his commands and we hear his truth, if we put it into practice, we will be building ourselves on a foundation that will not be taken from us. And he says to me that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I've thought about this a lot. I don't want to make too much of this, but so make me free. Free of what? Well, free of my addictions, free of my attitudes, huh, free of me. When I step my faith into the formative work of God's word, it not only creates life in me, but it cleanses me from me. You see, it's not just knowing what Jesus said or that he said it. It's experiencing it. 
Because these things don't make us holy. He makes us holy. And being in his presence brings life. Look at Psalm 119. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There's an intentional training of placing the word of God in our heart to expose what needs exposed and to heal what needs healed. Remember, it's not about trying it once or twice. It's about training yourself for this purpose. In fact, in the book of Romans, it says that the righteous will live by faith. And later in that letter, Paul says, and faith comes by hearing. And see if you can complete this for me. And hearing by the word of God. There's a critical power. The creative power brings life out of death. The cleansing power brings healing and restoration. But there's a critical power in the word too. In John chapter 5, Jesus said very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. The, The word of God is critical. By the words of God, we will either stand or fall in his presence. Please don't misunderstand that. Whatever standard we have set up in our mind about whether or not God is going to give us heaven, if it's not based on his promises and his words alone, regardless of preachers like me, regardless of denominations and religions in the world, what does the word of God say? That is the standard on which we stand or fall. To not know the word of God is to miss an opportunity to know where you are and who you are. You see, is it critical in the sense of being mean, angry, and punitive? No. The word critical doesn't mean negative. The word critical means it's observed. It's highlight. When a professor grades an exam, he's not hating on the student. He's actually identifying the proper response and the improper response. A parent who disciplines their child can discipline out of anger, and that's not good or right, Or they can discipline out of love, which may be as hard to receive and may be the best thing possible. The word of God is critical. And so because of that, it's critical for our hope. In Hebrews chapter 4, there's an example given. I'd like to read the first verse and explain the context and give you the uh, fruition of it. It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter into the rest. So that no one will perish by following their examples of disobedience. Who are they and what was their disobedience? Well, the people in Israel were taken out, or the, the Israelites rather, were taken out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, they, they loved the benefit of God freeing them, but in the journey of being freed, they didn't trust him. It caused problem after problem after problem because they would not listen and they would not respond to him. They did it their way, and they complained about the way things used to be. And in this example, the author of Hebrews says, they never entered into the promised rest of God because they never trusted his words. Then he says, for the word of God is alive and active. That might be something to meditate on this week. The word of God is not out of date. The word of God did not miss the point. The word of God could, you know, failed because it could not anticipate how brilliant our society is. What a joke. It says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen to that. The critical power in the word of God is it will expose us to us. 
And he says, nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God is not missing what's going on. And yet he's not up in heaven looking to smite. He's actually looking at us, calling us by his word to life from death, to freedom from bondage. The critical nature of the word is for our blessing, not our punishment. So it brings life, it frees us, it guides us. And the last thing I want to say this morning is that there's a challenging power of his words. The life we're to live because of Jesus brings change, but it brings hard change. I don't want to go back to my goofy illustration, but let me do it for just a heartbeat. I really still want to learn to play guitar. I'm just too lazy to put in the effort. So why can't I play guitar? Because I don't want to do what it takes. It's a challenge. I wanted it to be easy. I even tried the harmonica. I'm like 0 for 9 with musical instruments. Because I basically have a gnat's attention span of 50 seconds. And if I'm not brilliant, I quit. You know how many times I had to say to both of my kids when they would try something, oh, you're not good at it the first try. I would quit everything then. And then think, oh, Mark, you can't hear your own sermon. See, I want to challenge you all. God's going to do a soul transplant and it's going to hurt. God's going to teach an old dog a new trick, which means you're going to have to forget some of the tricks you've already learned. Can I just be square with you? You're going to have to give up something to come into the presence of God. You're going to have to dress your soul up just a little bit. You have to say no to something because not every moment of our lives that we're spending under the excuse of I'm busy is actually valid. Yes, you're busy. That's a choice. But are you busy in the things that shape your soul, that honor your God, that loves your family, that cares for others? Those are the choices we must make our priority. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment and exercise and recreation. There's nothing wrong with any of those. If you read the scripture, they are part of the gifts God gives us. But when we give up the greatest gift to keep ourselves under the excuse of, I'm just too busy, it's not about trying, it's about training to be formed, to grow in completeness of Jesus, you need to know who he is. You need to trust what he trusted and you find life. So how do I do a Bible study, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Some of you are like, all right, I'll give it a shot. One more shot, good. Give it one more shot, but don't try. Train. Set a period of time. You've all read it. How many hours does it take to build a habit? 10,000 hours. Some of you are like, I'm out. No, no, you're not. Because God's will for you, his desire for you, and he will bring that desire into your life if you give him yourself, if you die to self to find him. I want to give you four things you should look for when you open the scriptures. You may find all four. You may find one of the four. You'll always find one of the four. The other three are how we react. So let's begin. First thing, know who he is. When you open the word of God, look for the work, the heart, the voice, the presence of God. Start there. I'm even going to give you some encouragement. We have a Pathways website. You can go right to cco.church. Go to the Pathways page. There's ways to start a Bible study. There's some encouragements there for you. There's some tools and resources to help you begin. But I want you to do this. First, look for God. Read until you see a moment where God reveals himself. Because here's what happens. When we get the first one right, then the second one, it reveals who we are. 
That's not to bring shame. But when you know the holiness and goodness of God, the Holy Spirit begins to bring conviction into areas of our life where the critical power of the word exposes what needs to change. So when we know who God is, and then I know who I am, then the third thing is I can see what God has done in response to me. When I see from the very beginning God has pursued me, it takes away the false narrative in this world that God hates people, he hates certain things, he hates this, he hates that. God doesn't hate a single person. He sent his son to die for all people, that no one should perish, but all would have eternal life. So disprove the narrative by remembering who our God is. And then when you know who you are, it helps us see all he has done to restore us. Fourth thing, then see how you're supposed to live in light of those truths. When I know who God is, I truly know who I am. And when I know who I am, I know what God did to change that. And when I know what God did to change that, I now know how to live my life, not out of obligation, but out of opportunity. Where should you start in a Bible study? Spend the week in Psalm 1 and 2. Just read the first two Psalms. There's some indication by some in the world of scholarship that they're actually one psalm. I don't know if they're one or two, but they're fascinating because it talks about how man can be blessed and it also talks about the God who blesses. And sit and take a piece of paper, even if you threw it away when you were done, write down who God is. What does this say about me? What did God do because of me? And how might I live because of God? And you might find that the word of God begins to speak. Paul wrote to a preacher in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He's telling this preacher, remember what you've been taught. Focus on the proper teaching, not what the world is saying. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love that, that you may be wise for salvation from the Lord, that you're hearing the word of God. You know who he is. You know who you are. You know what he's done for you. And now you see how to live your life for him, a relationship in the presence of the holy God. Chip had us meditate on Psalm 1. In verse 3, is a powerful thing I discovered this summer. It's probably new, or new to me and not new to you, but I find it fascinating. It said, the blessed person is like a tree planted by streams of water. I, I was told that the, the reference there is that was not by accident. That this tree was intentionally planted by a source of strength. The seed of the tree was enough to grow a tree, but would it grow a healthy tree? Would it grow a living tree? Would it grow a tree that produced fruit? That was all contingent upon where it placed itself. Church, are you with me? If you want to be blessed in the presence of God, you must place yourself by the streams of life that come from the word of God. It is a launching pad for our faith to plant yourself by streams. So when the winds blow and the droughts come, you have replenished and been rooted deep in the source of God himself, not your own. So if you're stuck, if you're discouraged, If you failed in the past and you don't want to try again, I want to encourage you, listen to what the Spirit is saying to you in this moment. Plant yourself by the streams and see if God doesn't bring life through you and to you. It's not about trying. It's about training. 
And the opportunity to come into the presence of God himself through his word is one of the most beautiful gifts he's given us. May it never be neglected. May it simply be chosen. At the back of the room this morning are some tables that have lamps lit on those. And just a few moments, I'm going to head back there to meet with you. If we can pray with you this morning and encourage you. Maybe you want to know more about what your next step is in the word of God. We'd love to direct you to our resource center uh, throughout the cafe. We'd like to just be here. We are a family growing together. Don't try to grow alone. Grow together. It's part of what God gives us. But what an opportunity we have to let the power of God's word shape our minds, our hearts, and our souls that we might find our completeness in Jesus. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.